Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. Philippians 1, verse 3 through 8. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my ref for God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Open it to us this morning, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. Uh, because you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Paul's beginning this letter uh, right after his his opening greeting from Paul, grace and peace to you, from Paul, a slave, to the saints of God at Philippi. And now he begins to reminisce with them. Um, We know from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, we know the kind of church that that he's thinking about the kind of church that's on his mind. And essentially, we can kind of see a wistful look come in Paul's mind. As he's writing this letter, um, Paul is in prison, uh, probably in the city of Rome. Uh, It's a very um, serious case that he's facing, and he's already been in prison uh, for some time. Uh, He's he's been through multiple trials, and it's just the cans has kept getting kicked down the road, so to speak. And Paul is sitting in prison. Uh, He hasn't been able to visit this church for several years, but he's thinking about them. He's thinking about the church that he first came to. This is the first, as I understand it, this is the first European church uh, that Paul has planted. Um, Paul was trying to go into Asia. He kept wanting to go into Asia to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit kept stopping him in Acts chapter 15. And uh, and then Paul, in a dream, he has a dream of a man from Macedonia in his dream saying to him, Paul, come over into Macedonia and help us. And that's exactly what he did. Paul walks uh, across the, uh, the, the divide from Asia into Europe and goes into the city of Philippi. It's a, it's a Roman colony. And Paul begins preaching there. And if you read about it in Acts chapter 16, where what Paul does is he goes to the, a place outside the city where um, people are apt to pray. So he goes to folk that are already open to, um, to worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. Evidently, in the city of Philippi, there aren't enough Jewish men to form a synagogue because that's where Paul would preach. If there was a synagogue in a city, Paul would start there. Um, but instead, these devout women are preaching there, and God opens the heart of Lydia uh, in the city, and she opens her heart to the gospel. She receives Christ and, and uh, trusts in Jesus for his forgiveness, and she's transformed by that gospel. And, 
as Paul begins to preach around the city, this is the same city, the city of Philippi, where uh, a young fortune teller, a young lady that's a slave and a fortune teller, abused um, and and bound by Satan, begins following Paul and uh, uh, around the city. Paul and his his little group of preachers around the city, and keeps calling out. Uh, these are the men that have come to tell us about the Most High God. And Paul is bothered by this. For, for one thing, it would appear then that there's this syncretism between this demonic spirit and the spirit of Jesus to bring confusion where people might actually think that this fortune teller is, is, belongs to the same God that Paul is preaching. And so Paul turns around and says to her, after several days of her crying this out again and again, Paul turns around and says, uh, commands the spirit to leave her, the demonic spirit that had bound her to leave her. And of course, as soon as the spirit left, she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. I don't know exactly what all to read into that, except to say that evidently she was able to actually tell fortunes. She was able to see the future. And once she'd been released from the demonic spirit, she couldn't tell fortunes any longer. And the men that owned her, the men she belonged to, uh, realized that their source of wealth was gone. And they're very angry. And they bring Paul before the uh, magistrates of the city. Paul is beaten. Paul's uh, thrown into prison. And remember, that's where Paul and Silas are in prison that night and begin to sing songs of praise to God. And the prison doors burst open. An earthquake comes that breaks their bonds just as the woman bound by that demonic spirit is released from her bondage, now Paul and Silas are released from their bondage by the spirit of Jesus. And the Philippian jailer almost kills himself when he thinks that all the prisoners have left. But when Paul cries out to him and says, don't harm yourself, we're all here, everyone's still here. Do you remember his cry? He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on Jesus Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your house. And that night, that Philippian jailer brings Paul and Silas into his home. He bathes their wounds where they've been beaten, and he's baptized along with his whole household. Three different individuals, Lydia, the fortune-telling young slave girl, and, and uh, that Philippian jailer, all saved to form the nucleus. As far as we know, it appears the nucleus of this church what many Bible teachers believe is Paul's favorite church, at least from the letter to the Philippians, it seems that way. There's something very special to Paul about that church. And so running through his mind is images of Lydia and this young slave girl that we don't even know her name and the Philippian jailer. And he's thinking about his memories of them and his love that flows out to them. Because not only has this church been formed out of a very diverse group of people, three people from totally different social uh, status and uh, uh, different uh, backgrounds have come together, and I'm sure that around them, more diverse people have, have gathered and, and a church has been built. We don't know a lot about this church, uh, but we do know from some of the things that Paul says in his other letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says that this is the church, this church in Macedonia has helped him immensely in uh, his ministry, both financially and, and through gifts. And he says they are in extremely poor. He said they're a very poor church, financially speaking. But he said in spite of that, they, they've given so much. 
And so that this church holds this special place to Paul. And you see that he says that the reason why is because they have partnered with him in the gospel. The word there, partnered, in, uh, in verse um, 5, it says fellowship. He's, he's, um, he's pouring out gratitude to God for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. That word there, fellowship, is koinonia. It's the word for um, a very close sort of communal fellowship. It's the idea that these people aren't just his business partners, but they're people that have shared life with him, shared ministry. And as we'll see unfold throughout the rest of the letter, they are as intensely motivated to spread and share the gospel as Paul himself is. Um, I thought about how do I illustrate the difference between simply a, a partnership as, as a contractual or a, uh, um, a, a community that's not necessarily closely bound by love and care for one another, but you just kind of show up together, all right? And there's a, there's a kind of a little, it's probably you've seen it as a meme or a saying somewhere, a quote. I've heard it as a quote before. Maybe you've even seen it on a t-shirt. It says something like this, a friend, a good friend comes to bail you out of jail. A best friend is going to be sitting there with you in jail saying, well, yes, we really messed up last night. Okay, do you see that you, you follow the illustration? In the one case, your friend get, goes, goes to show up, show up to get you out of trouble. In the other case, whatever you're involved in, the friend's going to be involved in with you. And koinonia fellowship is the kind of fellowship that's sitting in the cell with you. Are you with me? Is that, do you understand what I'm saying? And Paul says that's the kind of fellowship that this church has with him. And that fellowship causes him to pour out gratitude towards God. Paul has been a lonely man. Paul loves people. That comes through because over and over again, he mentions name after name of personal friends to every city that he writes these letters to. Paul comes across like he's pretty, he's pretty hardcore, hard-nosed kind of guy, but he's a people person. But in spite of Paul's love for people, Paul's unmarried, as far as we know, and appears to be... Um, over and over again, rejected or marginalized by the very churches that he's founded, but not by the Philippian church. The Philippian church has not pushed Paul out at all. The church at Corinth, they did that a lot. In fact, the part of why we have two separate letters from Paul to the church at Corinth is because of that struggle with them really accepting and loving Paul uh, with the things he goes through. When he goes through legal trouble, they don't really want anything to do with it. They decide that Paul maybe isn't really a true apostle because of the suffering and trouble that he experiences. The church at Galatia, at one point in his letter, he says, I'm, I'm marveling that you're so soon removed from the, from the gospel that I preach to you. Um, Colossae, the church at Colossae, he says something very similar to them. But the church at Philippi, he says, you're my partners. Um, in fact, at, at one place, Paul says that you're the only church that's kept uh, giving to me, kept helping me in my ministry. And because of this close sense of fellowship and love and community with the church at Philippi, Paul says, I am 
I'm convinced that the one who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. When I read that, oftentimes I think of it in a very individualistic way. So I look at you and you and you, and I, I say, I hope, I, I just want to have the confidence that God is going to carry you through your situations. But what I realize is that each one of us individually, on a case-by-case basis, we're pretty weak and pretty fragile and really capable of failure. But that doesn't seem to be what Paul's saying here. He's not talking about, he's not saying, I, I am sure that he who has began a good work in you and you, that God's going to carry. And instead, he says, I'm confident. Look at what he says in the very beginning. This, um, this letter in verse 1, he says, I'm writing a letter to all the church. And the one that's began a good work in you all. What's that good work? It's the good work of saving those people. Rescuing Lydia from her, uh, she's worshiping Yahweh, but she doesn't know anything about Jesus. And God has rescued her from that ignorance. God has rescued a little slave girl from her bondage to demonic forces. He's rescued a Philippian jailer from his pagan ignorance. He's rescued these people. He's begun something. God began something here in Chicago. About It's been almost 60, about 63 years ago now. He began a good work with a core of believers that loved one another and loved God. But a lot of time has passed. It's kind of incredible to think that more time has passed between uh, when this church was started and today than had passed from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and Paul wrote this letter. This letter is probably written about A.D. 60. So it's only been 30 years. The church uh, has only been founded for just a a short time. I, I believe it's less than a decade. Of course, numbers, different people have different opinion about those numbers. But this is a very young church. Paul says, you're going to keep going. God is going to be faithful. Why is God going to be faithful to these people? Well, it's not just that on an individual basis they can make it, but it's because Paul is convinced that these people are going to stick together. And the reason why he thinks they'll stick together is because they've stuck with him. Look, look at the text again. He says, it's good for me. In other words, right after he says the one that uh, began this work is going to be faithful to complete it, he says that in verse 6. In verse 7, he says, it is right for me to think like this. You know why? Because I have you in my heart. Because in my bondage, in my imprisonment, in my apparent ministerial failures, you're still with me. That's what he says. He says, you have stuck by me through thick and thin. I, I thought about a story I heard a few years ago about, s- several years ago, in fact. I was 12 years old, sitting around the kitchen table at our house in the middle of a revival. And the evangelist's wife told about coming to Jesus when she was a teenager. And after she'd been saved for, I believe, for a few months, the pastor's wife, I think, said, uh, I'd like to borrow your Bible for a few days. She said, okay. So she took her Bible and brought it back to her after a few days, and she said, you're going to make it. And I guess if I understood the story correctly, as I said, it's been um, many, many years ago, 
that I heard this story 22, 22 years ago, 23 years ago. Um, if I understood the story correctly, what she was saying is that she recognized in that Bible the highlights and the markings of someone who was digging into God's Word for themselves personally, and that she felt like as an individual that she was going to make it. Are you following me? In other words, you're, you've, you're, you're serving Jesus for yourself. You're spending time in a personal level on personal devotions. And some of us, that we think that's what it means to be a Christian, just a little individual, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. But what Paul is saying here, his confidence is not based on the fact that he's read through their Bible and seen their highlights. It's not because he knows they're going to let their little individual light shine, but he says, it's because I believe you're going to go through together because I've seen you stick it out with me. In the midst of my imprisonment and my troubles, they have sent, later on in chapter 4, we'll find that they've sent Epaphroditus, a, a man from their church, which would be an expensive trip. They've sent him to take the whole journey to see Paul personally. They've sent him as their representative. They've sent him gifts repeatedly. They've sent gifts to the, to the church at Jerusalem at Paul's urging. Large financial gifts that were more than the church could afford. And Paul says, it's right for me to believe that you're going to make it, that God is going to complete the work that he's doing in your church, because you're going to hang together, because you've stuck with me in spite of the trouble that you've seen. I don't think it should be difficult for us to make an application this morning, don't you? I don't think it should be hard for us to see what God might be saying to us in this word. And even as I prepared the message, I thought about what you all mean to me, about how thankful I am for you all, how I think about the people that you were when I first came. Uh, It's hard to believe that it's been six years since I was first here. I think almost seven now. It's actually been about seven years ago, this time of year, that I first started driving up from Frankfurt to come here. Uh, I haven't been here long enough to talk about how some of you were young when I first came and now you've gotten older because some of you, you were old when I first came and you're still old. (laughs) Uh, But I think about the fact um, some of you you didn't attend the church yet. I never met you. Um, but God brought you to be part of our church. Uh, Some of you weren't married when I first came here. Two of you weren't married when I first came, and I had that privilege. And just the way that God has helped us to grow together. And I have this confidence that the one who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. And it's not because I've read through your Bibles and seen your highlights. It's because we've stuck together through very hard times. We've had fellowship, a partnership in the gospel. And I know sometimes when we look around, we wish there were more people here. But I don't want that that disappointment to allow us to overlook what we do have. We have a fellowship in the gospel. We're sharing life together. Some of you were so far from Jesus when I first came here. And God has saved you and rescued you out of that sin. That's, that is amazing. Some of you, you were saved. You were serving God as best you knew. But you didn't have a church family. 
you weren't attending here. You were, you were not part of this church. And God brought you here and knit you into his family, made you a part of this family of God. And then for some of you, you were here and you were a part, but there was so much growth and understanding that needed to happen. And that's happening. You're growing. And I just, my heart kind of overflows, and I, I don't know how to tell God how I feel inside, except to allow my mind to run through the scenes and to allow my hope to begin to take root and say, maybe God will take us somewhere worth going. If we'll stay together, if we'll, if we'll as Paul says here in the beginning, to all of the saints, those who have been called out, those who have been brought together, who've been rescued to be part of the family of God. Uh, just this week, this may illustration may sound a little little random, but it just made me think of of the way uh, we should think of the family of God, of the community of faith, of our church as something we belong to, not just something we come and visit like we do Walmart or Aldi or other stores that we go to, but instead it's a place that we belong to, that, that it's, it's our spiritual home. It's the body of Christ. Um, there's been, I guess, a big debacle about the Iowa caucus that probably most of you have seen some kind of a fracas about. I didn't even know how caucuses worked, but I guess there are something like 1,700 locations all across the state of Iowa where people gathered together to pledge themselves as delegates who they were going to vote for. But I'm used to, in most contexts, in most voting contexts, people write it on a secret ballot, right? You secretly write down who you're going to vote for, and then you drop it in. And what that lets you do is vote for people that you would never tell anybody you're going to vote for them, right? Because it's a secret ballot and nobody has the right to know who you voted for. It's your own little secret. But did you know that's not how delegates vote for candidates in the primaries? They, they pledge to vote for a particular candidate. And the way they do that, if, that, if I understand this, the way they do it is they actually gather in groups. Like they're, they're publicly standing with other delegates that say, we're going to vote for this candidate. They put their face and their identity into that group of people that say, we support whoever it might be, Bernie Sanders or Klubacher or, or Biden or who, you know, it was the Democratic caucus, you understand. And so these people are publicly, they're actually attaching their name and reputation to their vote as a delegate. And they're saying, I belong to this group right here. Now, there's often that there's political candidates up that I cannot imagine as a delegate standing there with another group of people and publicly telling everybody, this is who I'm supporting. I could support anybody, but I picked them out. <laughs> Y'all follow me, you understand. You probably feel exactly the same way. There's plenty of political candidates that you think, if I was a delegate, there ain't no way that I could stand up there with my face up in front of the news media and say, I'm going to vote for them. It'd be too embarrassing, right? You say, I don't want, maybe I, I might put some candidate's name on a ballot secretly and drop it in a little slot and never tell anybody. But the idea that I would stand up there with them and publicly pledge that I'm going to vote for that candidate in a primary, that's just a bridge too far. But what Paul is saying here is that these people have partnered together. They're standing together around a common cause, and that cause is the gospel. Their hearts are knit together. They are a unit and together they are publicly expressing their love and support and cooperation with Paul. 
not just in good times, but you see what he says. He says, you've been with me in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel in good times and in bad. You are partakers of my grace. He says, as God pours out his grace and goodness to me because of what I'm going through, you're right there with me. Receiving that grace, partakers of the grace of the gospel. God is my record. I I long after you. I want to see what God has begun come to its finish. And Paul is going to unpack as we we move through the letter. You know what Paul's going to let them know? If they're going to see this come to a finish, it's going to happen because they stuck together. And I think that's what God is calling us. Um, I think uh, just yesterday I was calling Sister York to find out if she'd be able to make it with the snow that was coming to shower us here on northern Indiana and Chicago. Uh, And uh, she drives an hour each way every Sunday to be here with us. And there's times where I've wondered, as, as time goes on and it gets dark earlier in the day and so forth, um, there, there might come a day where she'd have to tell me, Brother Martin, I, I just can't make this drive. And I would understand that. And there are other, some, some people that have moved away, and that always breaks my heart, but I understand. But those of us that are here, we're going to stick together. Because we want to see what God is trying to accomplish. We want to see it finished. And I'm asking God to give us purpose and vision to see carried forward into the future what God has started. I was reading a story of some men that were describing the, the, the weeks and days leading up to the D-Day invasion. And he said that during that time, it was the happiest time of his life. He said, I, I can't remember a time when I felt so little uh, frustrations and anxieties and, and, um, and uh, ill temper. And, and then the invasion occurred, and he said afterwards they were, they were headed home later. And he said to his chaplain, or to one of the men that was involved on the ship, he said, why is it that that time leading up to the invasion was so good? And then as time went on, it kind of, you know, we kind of just went back to life as normal with all of our frustrations and our petty squabbles and fights and so forth. And he said, well, the reason is because you had a great object in view and everyone's affections and intentions were, were aimed toward that object. And then you set aside your own individual interests and concerns in the interest of seeing that moved forward. That's the secret for you and I of real joyful Christian living. And Paul's going to talk about that later. I thought about, as I I spoke to you last week, about Paul as the slave of Jesus, the servant leader, an apostle of Jesus, speaking to the saints. And I, I spoke to you about authority and identity, about humility and pride and what that looks like. And I I just, I realize that for any one of us, if we get our eyes off of the prize of what God wants to accomplish in us and through our church, through our unity and fellowship, we begin to to pick at each other and, and have our little squabbles and so forth. But as we focus our energies and our intentions on something outside of ourselves, on God's purpose for us, we find that deep spiritual unity and we see God's work move forward because we're not looking out for self, but we're concerned for Jesus, for his kingdom, and for seeing his kingdom come to the world that we live in. 
through his church, through our fellowship. I thank God every time I think of you all for your fellowship with me in the gospel. And I pray that God, who began a good work here 64 years ago, is going to be faithful to complete it. Amen. If I understand faith, it's not counting on me. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be providing more grace faithfully. Further proving his great love for me. Grace for the moment, all that I need. Grace for the moment, and faith to receive the promises given to those who believe. Grace for the moment, all that I need. those who believe grace for